We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're talking to built environment professionals about what can be learned from unbuilt work and if it's possible to learn from designs that don't get tested in bricks and mortar. In the final year of their studies, architecture students generally produce a final thesis project. These final projects aim to represent the skill set a student has developed over all the years studying building technology, history and theory, in addition to architectural design. Our guest in this episode is Catherine Vand, who is a graduate of architecture who at the time of recording was working at Core Collective Architects in Tasmania. Kat and her beautiful Danish accent received an honourable mention in the 2022 Architecture Australia Unbuilt Prize for her project A Rare Relation, an interpretation centre for the Antarctic heritage of Tasmania. Kat shares with us why she chose to submit her project into the competition, what she went through designing the project in her final year of university, and why it's important that architects and the public get exposure to unbuilt projects and the ideas behind them. I'll now hand over to Abby Hibbert, who is an Imagine representative based in Tasmania. Let's jump in. G'day Kat, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hearing Architecture Podcast. How are you going? Good day, Abby. <laughs> I'm, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for inviting, it's really happy to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you on. So we're here today to talk about unbuilt projects and more specifically your project titled A Rare Relation, which you submitted to and received an honourable mention for in the 2022 Architecture Australia Prize for Unbuilt Work Competition. So could you start by sharing a little bit about in which way your project came about and then how you came to submit it for this competition? Yeah, that's, that's a, a long story <laughs> that I will try to make really short. A rare relation between Tasmania and Antarctica is my master thesis project. I graduated from University of Tasmania in 2019. So yeah, so I, I finished that project in November 2019, yeah, submitted it like everyone else, I guess, and left it behind, went out, got a, got a job as a grad, and really thought it was a part of the past. And actually, I cannot speak for everyone, but I know I've had many student colleagues who are really exhausted in the end of the master's and have a very complex relationship to, to the master thesis. I think many are probably proud and happy for what they have achieved and the diploma they they get in the end. But I also, I also remember all of the stress that, that comes to the project. I certainly feel the same way. So I left it, um, but, but my some of my colleagues in, in the workplace I started in straight after uni had, had seen it uh, as a part of my portfolio that I applied for a job for. And one of them Berlin heard about the unbuilt competition and the themes that they were covering in the unbuilt projects they were looking for and and she was the one who said to me that she thought I should try to submit it that was in 2020 but I was 
such a pure <laughs> grant that I couldn't even afford an entry. So, and I also still were not happy or proud of that project. So, so 2020 was not the year, but then the year after the unbuilt came up again and she again said to me, have you considered? And then I, I thought it was maybe a really good a really good occasion to revisit the project now when you've had a break from it and take it off the shelf and dust it off and give it a bit of love, setting up the panels again, rewrite the text. It's probably not a surprise that, that when I write English text I have to be fresh and concentrated as it's not my first <laughs> language. So there were really, really many embarrassing grammar mistakes on the master thesis panels because the text was written two hours before <laughs> submission. <laughs> so it's good also to just, you know, give it a fair bit of the attention it, it probably deserved, also to feel I could kind of close that door in a, in a good way. So that was actually what I saw the unbuilt competition could do. You could say you could do that without a competition, but I'm a person who want to think that I'm too busy to just sit and for fun make panels, so I sometimes need a kind of deadline or a reason why to, to do those things, yeah. Mm. And yeah, and I note that the AA Prize for Unbuilt Work, it's actually the only avenue for the public recognition of this type of work in Australia, mm. unbuilt and speculative projects. So I imagine it was a, you know, a, a great way to, to look at experimenting and speculating and kind of inventing of ideas and, you know, potentially having them validated or, you know, potentially being awarded for them. Absolutely. But I must also say that I, I look at the shortlists and the winners from the year before when I submitted and there were student projects represented, but there were also many where it was more experienced designers or architects who were the people behind. So I must admit that I didn't thought at all that my little greeting from Tasmania would have any any seriously chance in, in between all of the other entries. But I think even I know there was a joint winner and, and, and one of the winners were also a student project. And I think that just exactly uh, highlights what these competitions is about, that the good idea actually doesn't have anything to do with, to me, <clears throat> experience or how many that's about executing the actual idea. It can be a sketch if it's just strong enough, or it can be a render made by a professional firm of 100 people, it actually doesn't matter. The good idea will will be seen and will be um, awarded if it's, if it's mm. good enough. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point that that competition is open to practices of all types and scales, and you know that includes students, so it's a great opportunity, it seems. And I also noted that entries can be of any scale from, you know, large urban projects to smaller interventions. So did you want to speak about what your project actually entailed and the, and the scale it took and where it sat in the landscape as well? Yeah, it's a bit of a beast. It's <laughs> really many square metres, probably more than I could, could and still can handle. But, you know, that's probably also what we should all appreciate about students. We are often so happy, optimistic and naive about our own skills and I think that's how it should be. A revelation is an interpretation centre that's placed on the harbour front of Hobart, actually in the water, I'll come back to that later, and it is a neighbour to, I can't pronounce it because it's a hard name in English, <laughs> but people who know Hobart will know that there is a monster gigantic super bold red ship 
that is based just down there, and that is the link between Hobart and Antarctica. That's the that's the big boat or the ship that scientists from IMIS and to those who doesn't know what IMIS is, it is the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies. It is the boat that they are taking when they are, have to go to Antarctica to to do research. I think that one's the Aurora Australis. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is the name. And and I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that just for um, <laughs> just for everyone's sake. But anyway, a rare relation is, is based down there and, and and with a visual connection to IMIS. And in in uni, how it was set up when I was studying, the final year of your master is actually your whole thesis year, where your first semester you are asked to write a brief and then the second semester you are asked to design the debrief. So that means that you have a lot of lot of time to do research. But it also meant that our, our tutor had huge expectations to that we were able to to state an argument around the brief and what we were gonna design. And he, he set up this this kind of triangle where the method was that kind of the, the top of the triangle should be supported by the two bottom corners. So each corner was represented by one was typology, one was location, and the third one was research field. And let's say that you have picked a location, then you have to be able to use your research field and your typology to argue for why that location was the right location. And if you turn the triangle around and you pick the research field, it was the location and the typology that you should use as an argument to say why that should be your research field. And that was a super hard exercise. But the way to, to start it was to pick just one of those three and just try to research from there. And I knew that because I was so portfolio orientated, I knew I didn't want to do a project in Denmark because I had plenty of projects from Denmark. I also knew I didn't want to do one from Long System because all of my three previous semesters had been about um, the Northern Transformation project in Invermay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I want to do it in Tassie, but not Long System. So I went to a study trip to Hobart and wandered around and, you know, could find any location and no location. So that was a bit bored. But then I I started like, okay, okay, I know it has to be in, in Hobart somewhere, cool, tick. But then I, I was like, okay, could could it be interesting to, from from the outsider, to look in and see what, what with my objective eyes, what do I find really unique about Hobart or Tasmania that, that local people are not aware of because it's just a part of their everyday life. And then the whole married team and if people who know Hobart or have been on a holiday down here will we know that there is actually an, an Arctic pathway throughout the sea. We have these bronze sculptures that is references to the past explorers, uh, the ones who, who started the first trips to, to Antarctica. So I was like, okay, there's many sculptures down here, wow. Um, so I started looking into that and realized that something that Hobart was really unique for was exactly that past explorer starting the trip in Hobart. That's it. it no one has started a trip to Antarctica from Denmark, for example. So, okay. And then when I started looking more into to that whole story, I came across the gateway strategy from 2017, which 
you can kind of say it's a, it's a long long extension of the first explorers. So of course Hobart had been that kind of gateway point because it is so close to Antarctica compared to, to other parts of the world. But the whole gateway strategy that the Hobart Council, I think it was, wrote was this stating or aiming for to be the gateway strategy in the world. So setting up a whole the whole kind of plane of the city around that there should be facilities to just be number one gateway city. So that also means like putting funding into more research facilities, putting more money into now sitting at McCall Point, but that's going to be some of the type the buildings down here is going to be a part of new uh, university buildings as a part of IMAS. So, so I suddenly could see, okay, there's actually something here where Hobart had been unique and I also still want to be unique for it. So I, I in that way started sourcing out, okay, my research field is going to be something about this unique relation. And then next thing was, okay, location-wise, it should maybe then, it would make sense to make it close to, to those institutions that is a part of that whole thing. And that is down on the harbor. And then I started a started working a little bit together with IMAS and they were amazing but they they both you know showed me their facilities and I can certainly recommend everyone to visit IMAS they have some really exciting research spaces they have but they also which was something I picked up on they said that they have this kind of issue that they do this amazing research and, and write some amazing articles about among other things climate change and how, I'm not going to sit here being an expert, but I picked up on that there's a ton glacier down in Arctica that is melting a little bit every summer, which affects all the holistic picture of climate, but one of them is the water, water level rise, the sea level rise. But there is this missing link that researchers have this knowledge, but they cannot, they're not able to communicate it out to the broader public. So it kind of stays there and they think it's a shame because if more people knew about the climate situation, people maybe also make some other decisions that when they do, but you're never gonna get it, the broader public to read these super advanced articles. So I was like, oh, could there be something there about designing space or create something that where those people could meet up? you know, artists that could talk together with scientists and make exhibitions. You've seen that before where where more visual communication is something that can, can affect people. So then I was like, okay, now we're starting having a typology or at least something with some experience areas or display areas in the gateway strategy. They wanted the most clever scientists about climate and Antarctica around the world. They want them to be able to have this guest residency down in Hobart every now and then to come down and give lectures and tutor PhD students. So it's like, okay, bang, putting that on as well. So we need some residency apartment. And I was like, okay, if they're anyway gonna workshop together with artists, which what I'm thinking they should, should be an artist residency. So then I had suddenly in my program allocated yeah, display space, apartments, lecture theater, um, I was like, okay, and, and if you look into museums, there should also be a souvenir shop, a cafe, and then as to run that, there's like admin, and suddenly kind of when I started looking into the missing, there was this, the program was kind of built, and, and that was where the 
typology and interpretation center came. And then I was also thinking like, I could certainly just have gone with the gateway strategy thing, but I also in the same time started uh, researching more into the past explorers. And I, I went so far to like read poems they have written and diaries and letters to the wives. And I was also really um, interested in, I think certainly the emotions. And, and so I was battling it a while with the past and the present of relationship that Hobart has with Antarctica and and thing couldn't decide so just thought you know what I'm just gonna focus on both in this project so so I was I was seeing like okay, could this interpretation center also represent the past story we have with Antarctica and I and I did a bit of study trip and looked at what what's already here and beside all the bronze sculptures there were some museums who had like stuffed penguins or funny posters of a, a, a heavy man in snow and I was just like okay that that's good but I also found when I read the past explorers experiences it was really so serious and they had so many complex feelings so I was like it's not fun and Antarctica is, is great today but they were signing up to a big unknown and didn't know if they would return but they were also super excited because they were going on an adventure so I, I thought about a, a precedent that I had for my for my own life. I visited the Jewish Museum in Berlin, where Daniel Liebenskind and and some incredible artists, which I, I'm sorry can't remember the name of, they have managed to design rooms that evokes feelings about how the Jewish people felt. As particular one room I remember, where the acoustic is so. Architect would say terrible because all sounds are just like smashing around, but you're kind of walking on these metal faces, and every time you kind of walk, the faces slide towards each other, so it almost sounds like they're screaming. And this feeling of that you're walking on faces that start screams that's just something about there where you just feel really not confident. And I was like, say, that's that's what architecture can also do, it can actually evoke emotions. So put that on cat and I said that's also what I designed and then and then I think as an extension of that I was just like okay so we have the past we have the present should we also look into the future and people from IMS were really sending me lots of graphs and articles about the future relationship not just Hobart and Antarctica but Antarctica and the world because the ice is melting and and that was where I just couldn't avoid climate change but was also not sure about how to incorporate climate change into this beast I was creating. And, and you know, you could do it the sustainable way and, and ensure that all of the materials you're using and so on were correct, or can you say politically correct? But I also thought, like inspired from what IMS was like asking for this kind of help to communicate their knowledge. And I was like, that's maybe, that's maybe actually what architects are Best that, that is to imagine things that's not here yet, but maybe one day will come. And every day, you know, we are looking at plans and elevations and sections of houses that are not built. But I thought, is that maybe what I should do? I should help them creating the picture of the future that is going to happen in Hobart. And that's what that whole building should be about. It should actually be this um, checking in point on how, how bad the situation is. And hopefully that will get the local Hobartians to reconsider their lifestyle and 
who they're voting on next time there's <laughs> election and so on. Mm. So <clears throat> it's certainly you know a sensitive topic and sometimes controversial, but so it's I, I imagine it would have been hard to know whether to touch on such a large issue. But I guess it's evident that it's just important to spark advocacy in any way you can and, and perhaps start a discussion more broadly. So that seems like what you've done. As I said, I think um, when I did the master, I was focusing, you know, equally on past, present and, and future. But it was, um, I did make a part of the the scheme. I, I also did, um, I call it a propaganda, but I have realized afterward that's not a good word to use in English because that's really, really <laughs> negative. So I made a poster where I plugged in my render and where I... I said, um, design now or swim later. And it was also a poster that, you know, I, I used in my, my renders for workshop areas where it should be the thing that people were kind of sitting, working together. But that poster, which I also hung up around in Hobart, <laughs> that poster started debate. And that poster made people want to talk, mostly with me. No one wanted to talk about the design that was on the poster, which was the architecture that I also spent lots of time of doing. But that picture of seeing a context that people knew, it's like half 2019, half 2070. It's not a good render, I can also say. His skills have improved since. But it was, it was an image that, I will not say it touched people, but I think it was just up in their face what, what this is about. And I think that was also the part of the project that I basically submitted for the Unbuilt because it that fitted into to that competition. I think I developed a brief with the past, present and, and future relation where either of those could have fitted into different competitions, but, but the climate is just really actual and something that we all are being reminded of daily or, or I find when you first are aware, you see it everywhere. Yeah, and did you find that that graphic representation of a render is, you know, the, the easiest way to get that message across. I guess you spoke about how architects are really good at portraying, you know, things that aren't already there but potentially can be. So is that is that the way to, you know, make people see, you know, what their future life might be like or I think renders as an illustration fits to different purposes. I don't think all projects should be rendered. I certainly believe in that there are projects where a good plan tells more about how a building is set into a context, for example. But for for a broader public and for a propaganda poster, I don't think a, a plan or another architectural drawing would have done the job. I think in that case, I think the, the render is a good tool. And, and before uh, computer, computer renders were a thing, which my generation, you know, is born and bred with in, when we have been educated, you have also seen amazing architects who have done beautiful perspective drawings. As I think that image where people can really see themselves in a, in a context, I think, have always been a really strong communicator. You can say my whole project ended up becoming about many other things than architecture, and I think when we study architecture, we get a toolbox and get to know not just software, but we learn so many different things that I think we can use in so so many ways. And I see friends all the time who can say leave architecture to do and do something else really well because they have got skills they can execute in, in, in other fields. And I think that's certainly something we should continue doing and, and helping 
people who need to hand. Yeah, and I think it's a good point that, you know, competitions like this can allow you to explore ideas that aren't necessarily architecture-related or purely about the built form, but that actually bring in bigger ideas. So you've spoken about how the project seeks to join IMAS and other stakeholders in strengthening a community awareness of these extreme environmental changes that we're, that we're facing and we will continue to face. Can you talk about how the project actually physically responds to those and, and to those problems that um, we're seeing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was thinking the building is like a, a ticking bomb. I was maybe a bit of a drama queen when I was a student. It was just like <laughs> climate change and past the explorers, hardened feelings and things. But I, there was many things going on. But I was seeing the, the project to be like this ticking bump, not in terms of it will explode, but, but that it will be taken over more and more about the, the reality of, of climate change. And, and also like a, a little... Um, comment on that I could see that we still build buildings to the current situation and not the future. People know what's to come and we still build to regulations that's written yesterday. So there is a comment around that I wanted to um, highlight it even more, but I think there are many buildings that's going to be taking over a little bit more and more of the hazards of climate change. So I thought, okay, how, how to do that? And, and I was thinking, should it be like a titanic moment where it will just sink down and suddenly gone down? I was like, okay, that's also a bit, you know, if you've been to Hobart, that's, <laughs> Hobart is not the city for that kind of drama moment. So, and I also thought I didn't want to be the person either who was only pointing fingers at what I thought other people were doing wrong and do the same wrong myself and then we could all stand there and agree about we all do wrong and I was like okay should I should I try to give a, a solution I decided to do a combo and the interpretation center actually doesn't have any indoor simulation so I made these uh, six buildings that have almost the same size in square meters but what differ them from each other is that I place different roofs on them, so, so they were kind of unique in, in the roof. I thought that was also something I thought interesting, that sometimes it's like the door or window locations that different houses from each other, but I was like, no, I think actually the facade should be almost the same, and even where you enter the building, and then it was actually the roof that were kind of making the building unique. That was just a little design thing I actually did, not just all this strategy thing. <laughs> but then what I did was I built what I call a climate wall, so I suggested and introduced actually landscape along the edge of the Hobart harbour front. I realised from the report from IMS that in 50 years the water will 100% have raised one metre. Okay, mm. so I built a landscape that was going to go along the Hobart waterfront to, to stop that water to come into Hobart so we don't have to take it all down and redo it. So that I first started to try to protect the existing. And then I was like working with this idea about what is climate adaptive architecture actually. And, and again, how can you do it in the most bold and obvious way? And our colleagues here in, in Hobart at Circa Morris Nunn have actually made a, 
another neighbor building that after I pick my location uh, close to Armis and the big ship that is going to Antarctica, another neighbor building is one that uh, Sir Morris Nunn in Hobart have done, which is actually floating on pontoons. Uh, you doesn't see that or feel it when you are in the building. You you maybe pick up on it when you inside because you go over a ramp that sometimes can give a bit of vibes. But anyway, so that was a that was a huge uh, precedent for me, and I therefore decided that five of my six houses should float on pontoons, and then one one of the buildings should then be on the top of my uh, climate wall, so that one will never be hit by water. And then the circulation between the buildings were actually a, a static platform that I decided was going to stay in a certain height, and my buildings were going to be attached to some poles underneath, but where my buildings would kind of go up when the water would raise and therefore never be floated over, the platform will slightly starting being more and more flooded. And then the platform itself or the suddenly miscirculation will be kind of the, the image for people to see where we were at. You know, you, I was imagining that you can start just walking in your normal shoes and then after some years you will have to wear your rubber boots and then after some years you'll have to find your boat and then you'll have to swim to get into an exhibition and then you probably don't bother anymore because it's gonna be too much work to get in <laughs> and and then like like if nothing of what I just have said was super realistic the idea was also like that you could when the whole Hobart is flooded and everything is just a mess you can just like tip up the platform and then just drag all of those exhibition interpretation center houses and float them somewhere else and they can be placed somewhere else along the coast in Tessie or in another gateway city of the world because I think there's five. So so it was this idea about, you know, climate adaptive architecture in the in the like strongest way that is actually architecture that just totally adapt into and, and are not affected of it at all. And that render I spoke about before is that's exactly that platform that people can still read, that the buildings are in the same location, but it's that circulation space in between that are starting being there and suddenly is, is gone. Mm. Yeah, it's a very hard to ignore image, I guess. <laughs> it's, I remember when I, um, when I did my final year presentation and one of the examiners, nice guy, 100%, but uh, when I finished, no one said anything. For a while, you know, I'm still learning culture all the time, and not that I was expecting a big applause, but I was like, just, I remember I was standing up there and and tried to look to my tutor, like, thumbs up, thumbs down, I'm like, what am I expecting to do? And she was giving me, like, he's like, I, I don't know what's going on here. And then suddenly one of the examiners here, he started, like, laughing, but not in the humiliating way, like, <laughs> And then he was like, that, that image there, so that's something you made up, right? And I was like, no, 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 no. I have articles and graphs from IMS telling this is 100% the future you and I are going to face in 50 years. And that really made an essa, you know, not that he was went home scared or anxious, but you can really see that that render that took me probably shouldn't say that here, but that render took me maximum an hour to do. It's it's really not a pretty picture compared to other, some of the other illustrations I did, but that was the strongest image that I created. And I think, yeah, back to that whole, like a strong idea or, you know, a strong concept, 
I think that's that's just important to you know a, a drawing on the tissue can sometimes be the best drawing as long as it's just like strong and clear and people understand it no matter no matter the language or the accent you present it with. Yeah, and I think the the jewelry citation especially pointed this out that for such a prominent location uh, where many of Hobart's largest events take place, it, this kind of project would make a good if confronting neighbour. So that really speaks to what you've done there. So thinking about the flow-on effect of design, research and competitions, can you speak about how the research that you've done for that project has now impacted ideas or processes that you now undertake with more real-life projects and work in practice? I must admit, as I said in the start, I was a bit over this project when I had done the master. I was just like, buy a long system, buy a revelation, life is ahead of me. But then the institute down here has a, which I appreciate, are displaying the final master projects. And I think there's always a risk if you speak up that someone would take you on the word, as you will say in Danish, and ask you to kind of not be a hookler. You know, it's easy just to have opinions and certainly criticize others, and it's really hard to put actions behind the word. As much as I thought that I could just get away with um, making a propaganda poster and place it everywhere at Hobart and they just disappear and, and don't care anymore. To my benefit now, uh, there were people from the local architects Declare group who came and saw the exhibition. And there were one who said, don't you think you should be a part of our group and um, try to put actions behind those words? You have picked up on something the rest of us have seen for a long time. So we very welcome you in this group. And I was like, damn. Because what are you saying? <laughs> As a, you cannot walk around and point fingers at people and then don't want to... Then I think the whole the whole project loses its um, importance if you doesn't even yourself can help taking a first step. So um, I was a part of Argus Claire for one and a half year down in Tessie and met really many people who, who made me realize that um, that the intentions I had on my masters are good, but reality is it's it's baby steps and it's often like one step ahead, two steps back, but little also do something. It's hard not to to take this issue seriously when you're getting more and more informed about it, which Architects Declare certainly did. And it was also in Architects Declare that I met Emily Usten, who today is my colleague at Core Collective. And um, Core Collective, I'm not saying that we have a climate agenda, I think I'm still the one who speaks most about that, but we certainly have a really, really strong sustainability agenda to all of our projects. Much more architectural than what I touched on in my master thesis, but I, I can see now that I think from both have researched in one year of my master's and then one and a half years as a part of Architects Declare. I think I have started getting so much information about this topic that I don't think I could work in a practice who doesn't at least try prioritizing these topics. And then, you know, again, but when you work in everyday practice, there's also the reality of that there's so many practical factors to to have in mind. There's the classic one with 
whichever one know about economy and you know source materials and you know should you import it from overseas should you produce it here what about if the produced here is not as good as overseas so there's so many many things where you you have to pick your battles i guess but i think that's where competitions are are good because i think that's where you can still test out ideas and some more idealistic approaches to this topic which i certainly still do in my in my spare time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and has entering one competition sparked an interest in doing further competitions you can say the unbuilt competition is the first i've done of its kind where you know it didn't ask you to do a new design it asked you to submit something that had had another purpose so so that's that's the only one i've done of those but since i've graduated two years ago i've done four and i'm doing a fifth as we speak Mm. it depends on on the brief but i think what i like about doing competitions and also what what we touched on earlier with the unbuilt is that it it gives you a framework to have fun and play with some ideas and it also acknowledges the, the good ideas and the good thinkers which are sometimes think can get a bit lost in practice when you are sitting with uh, what do I know sorry transmittal schedules or if any schedules where it's maybe sometimes a bit hard to also sit and spark that's also interesting sorry no no judgment I enjoy doing that as well but it's just not where I feel I'm really showing my my muscles so I, I do that and and I think certainly I can see on the competitions I've done that <laughs> it's going to sound looking back on my career that is two years long, but I can see that as more as I have been involved in Arctic's Declare and as more I have had to revisit the unbuilt project and with that also had had conversations with interesting people and, and what's not, I can see that the climate and the sustainable approach have slided into my competitions as well. And it's not something I do in purpose, but I, I often manage to get that extra layer in as a part of the brief. And when I say I, that's also a monster lie because I have never done a competition by myself. So it's of course a conversation I have with those I collab with, but uh, I said with my colleagues here at Core Collective, architects i don't think i could actually work on a competition with anyone who for example didn't believe in climate change i think um, no matter how monster a designer they were or incredible good company i I think we'll just have too many discussions around things we wouldn't move anywhere and i don't think we could learn from each other which i think competitions is so much about as well So you've touched on a few times the best ideas are sometimes the ones that are, you know, scribbled down really quickly or in a not-so-refined way. And I guess university is probably the one time you get to really be adventurous with that and flesh out kind of unresolved ideas, I guess. It's, It's quite encouraged. And you've spoken about the timing of your career so far and the competitions you've done at this point in your career. Would you be encouraging of other students and early graduates to be submitting for similar competitions at, at the stage that they're in as well? 100%. <laughs> I, I, I don't, actually don't like the word passion or being passionate because who isn't about something? But I think people who I, I'm close to say if you have managed to finish a a full degree in architecture, you there comes more to it than just a have to, because you 
you spend so much time on that. And if you still have that when you have finished your hopefully nine to five job, sure. <laughs> but it, it is like the hours around work where you, you do it. So just saying that, I, I would really encourage people to do it if they have the energy and the enthusiasm towards it. Certainly when you work for a practice that if you align with their work, you know, you still work under a very ex experienced um, profile or portfolio. And I think uh, doing a competition is a way of you getting reminded all the time about who, who are you when you are just you and, and when it's just your ideas and your graphic and your color palette in design. But another thing is certainly that I think I, I didn't expect this master project to come anywhere. I submitted it and thought it would end in some cloud somewhere. And then I had just got my own little thing around, have read on the panel so I can feel good about it. I even had days where I hoped it wouldn't come anywhere because I was very um, conscious about that. I saw all of the mistakes in it. And I have heard many students and grads criticizing themselves and their amazing ideas a lot. Some of the most talented people in my eyes can look at their own work and really find it hard to see it because we are all just a group of perfectionists where everyone else <laughs> sees all your amazing skills and you can only see all the things you should improve or didn't have time to or want to learn another time or want to get back to or whatever. But in saying that, I just want to tell whoever is listening here that when I submitted and the project started being um, exposed, I've only got positive feedback. Not just from people who love me, where I'm like, of course you're on my team, you should, you should be, <laughs> be happy. But also from strangers who have texted me. And, and you know, in these social media times, it's not hard for people to find you on Instagram or whatever. And I think that, that really blow me away, where I'm like, all of that critique that I was prepping myself for, if this is coming out, people just gotta take it apart. Have not been there at all. Mm -hmm. There's probably people who are sitting sharing a beer and taking it apart without me listening to it. Fair enough. But that fear that I had, and I think many others have, of what should other people think about it, is just something I have absolutely not experienced myself. And I'm also, would like to encourage everyone to if you see someone who is brave enough to share a very, can you say, new or not constructed idea, and with construct I mean build, building, really support them and, and give them a monster high five, because I think that's the only way we will ensure that everyone with good ideas will share them and not to be the whole uh, sharing is caring and, you know, we should all live in a one beautiful world where all ideas are built. But I think I think there's really many amazing ideas that lies, they are lying in people's drawers or on people's shelves or in people's heads and are never going out there because people are too conscious. And I think that's a shame. Mm -hmm. And I wish that there were more competitions like the Unbuilt that exactly encouraged the idea and exactly encouraged and highlighted that this is not about the experience you have, it's not about how big your team is, it's not about how much work you have done previously it's basically on a good idea and you can also see there have been really good shortlisting projects that have in all stages of detail because the ideas are really good so i think 
just encouraging everyone to get your ideas out there, but also everyone who received the ideas. Be nice to people with good ideas, because I think uh, the world would be a very trivial place if we were just walking around in the same design and the same colors. And look at Tesla. That was a good idea that no one believed in. Where's that guy today? I think he's actually out of space. So he's a, isn't he the one who is gonna fly to the moon? So I think um, ideas should should certainly be shared and, and encouraged and supported. I think the message speaks very clear for, you know, students and grads alike to just not be afraid and especially coming up against what seems like strong competition with established firms to take a punt and have fun with it because it seems like what you've done that's certainly paid off and I think you deserve all the praise that's coming your way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Abby. That was really nice. Um, I don't know. I certainly feel now that I can park every relation. I think... We have had a we have had a good time now. I feel like it was a it was a friend that I had a bit of an argument with two years ago, but then I missed him a little bit because I thought he was a little bit cool. But now we have hung out a lot, so now we also need a break again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was certainly an idea that introduced me to many people and and have led me to many interesting conversations, which I'm really really thankful for mm-hmm. for sure. I'm sure it's encouraged other people out there that have seen it. So great work. Thank you. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Kat. Thanks so much for sharing your journey with us today. Look forward to your competition work in the future. Oh, (laughs) my pleasure. And let's see. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to our guest in this episode, Catherine Vand, sporting an accent that we're all jealous of, who is currently based in Tasmania. We can't wait to see what you do next. And if anyone would like to see and read more about Kat's project, just search Catherine Vand or A Rare Relation via architectureau.com. Our sponsor, Brickworks, also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeleine Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy, and the Imagine production team was Abby Hibbert. This interview was edited by Peter Carter at Pillow Fort Audio Productions. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.